morning. Joel's back there smiling. <laughs> well, open your Bibles, we go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. As you're turning there, let me ask you a couple of questions. What fulfills you? What fulfills you? Is there an activity, a person, a meal that brings you fulfillment every time? Do you have a comfort meal? I'm just like, mmm. That's good stuff. Back when I was growing up, we didn't have much time on Wednesdays because between work and church, my mom would always make grilled cheese and butter noodles. There's not much better now in life than a good old grilled cheese and butter noodles. I mean, it's simple, but it's one of those comforts. It just, every time, makes you happy. Is there a scene that every time you see it takes your breath away? Well, imagine your favorite meal in your favorite place with your favorite people, would you be satisfied there? Would you be fulfilled? Rebecca and I got back from our trip and got to see some, some neat things and take part in some neat things. One of those, we got to go to uh, Westminster Abbey, where many of you know that's where royalty gets crowned and uh, people get married there if they're real popular. Also, it has a history, like David Livingston's buried there, or you know that that's where the Westminster Confession was written. And so as we're there on a Friday night, listen to the Even song, and it sings beautiful choirs, I'm wondering, like, wonder where it was first said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Was it over there? Was it on that side? I mean, somewhere in these halls. And man, I've been, maybe been around the corner. Well, who's the first person that stated, and then they pinned it, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That has resonated throughout Christianity for the last 400 years. This is what life's about. Glorify God, and for heaven's sake, He's amazing. Enjoy Him. Enjoy our Savior. So we got to see that. We got to go see where John Bunyan, whom I love, he loves Pilgrim's Progress, got to see where he, he was buried. John Wesley's buried across from the Isaac Watts in the same area. Susanna Wesley, all in the same little area of England. We got to see where John Knox, the reformer, was buried. The church that he preached in in St. Giles. Got to see Spurgeon's church. All these things were amazing, but eventually you have to do what? Come home. Eventually vacation ends. Is your favorite vacation day the day you come home? If it is, it probably wasn't that great. <laughs> you may have a vacation like, I can't wait for this thing to get over. But for the most part, you don't like the last day of the cruise. You're getting off the boat. Nobody's serving you hand and foot. But eventually, these things that we find great fulfillment in, they end. They end song we're listening to at our home speaks of our songs end like we, we finish singing right but God doesn't shouldn't we still be praising him now but eventually we need sleep but God doesn't he's eternal he exists he just exists and he is our pleasures in life the things that bring us great joy activities things even people pass away and move on but the Lord never will. And he brings us eternal 
pleasure. So I want us to look here at Psalm 16. If you recall from last summer when we were doing a psalm, we would sing it because the psalms are, after all, a hymn book. So we're going to sing Psalm 16, and we're going to try to pull this off here. The wording is a little tricky on some of these aspects. And so, so some of you, if you're, you're wording, man, man, Brad messed up today. If, if you want to take his spot, I'm sure he will take willing applications afterwards. You're welcome to come up here next Sunday and do it. It's not always that easy. But we're going to sing Psalm 16 to the tune, This Is My Father's World. Okay? You want to try this? Oh, keep me safe, my God. I take refuge in thee. I said to God, you
job. You guys did great. All right, now look at that Psalm 16. Let's walk through our text today. Let's read it, and let's see how we can understand these pleasures that God gives to us and how they are eternal. Psalm 16, 1, a mictam of David, preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings. I will not pour out or take their lips, take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. First, let's look at David's request here. Look at verse number one. David's request, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is a very short prayer. Here it is. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The rest is going to be a confession of trust. What does David want him, what does David want God to do? Preserve him, to keep him. Back in Genesis 2.15, God put man in the garden to do what? To watch over it, to keep it. And if you read Genesis 2.15, you'll see that word keep when he asked him to keep the garden, to watch over, guard, protect it. It's the same word we have here. Adam, as we know, notoriously, he failed. He did not keep the garden and let that slime ball snake get in. Allowed him to tempt his wife. Allowed him to deceive him and his wife to take the fruit. He did not guard, watch, keep the garden. So he turns to the Lord and says, listen, I know we're going to fail it. I know we're going to botch it. I'm asking you, keep me. Keep me, Lord. Guard me. Watch over me. Protect me. For you, I take refuge. You're the one. Whereas David would find holes and clefts in the rock. And we read stories about these kids' stories when you're telling Bible stories about David hiding from King Saul, and he's hiding in the rock. He's hiding in the cleft over here. He's in this canyon over here. David realized there's no cavern. There's no depth. There's no place where I could hide that is more secure than in my Savior. He is my refuge. He's my refuge. And it's as if not only is he my refuge, but he's the place that when things are going awry and I have to find a place to hide that I can rest secure because he's on guard. So I'm resting in him while he's keeping and preserving me. So Lord, preserve me. Keep me as I take refuge in you. And for those that do take refuge in the Lord and trust him to do so in this way, they find great 
joy. We see this in verse number two. We see God fulfills me. We're going to see this a number of times, this phrase, God fulfills me. God fulfills me personally, David says. Look at verse number two. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. A couple things. First, David says that his relationship with God is extremely personal. He says to the creator and sustainer of the universe, you are mine. I say to the Lord, my, my Lord, my Lord. It's extremely personal. Christians often proclaim that it's not a religion. Friend, look at me. If you're here, if you believe that coming and doing good and it's about a religion, you're missing it. It's about a relationship with your Savior. You can actually have a relationship with him. He loves you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be a part of your life. That you are to glorify him and enjoy him forever. You can do that because he is very personal. David also says, God, you are my God. He speaks also the comprehension, comprehensive nature of the Lord. Like look at verse number two again. You are my God. I have no good apart from you. In every way, shape, and form, you, you are fulfilling my life. You are every good. David says this in the negative, but turn it to the positive. Right? I have no good apart from you. Flip that. Every good I have is you. If I have no good apart from you, everything I do have that is good is you. It is the Lord. He is our good. Right? What, what's the statement? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. But not only is he good in action, he is good in character. In personhood, he's just good. And all the good that we have is God. He is our good. Do you have anything good? If you've ever received a good gift, what, what does James tell us? Every good gift comes from above, comes from our Father of lights with whom there's no variable, there's a shadow of turning. He is good. He gives good. He is good. He is our good. God is good. And David says, listen, that, that's all I have. Every good I have is you. One author said of this. The meaning is, my good is nowhere, nowhere except in thee. I have no source of good of any kind, happiness, hope, life, safety, salvation, but in thee. David proclaims, God, you are mine, and any and all good I have found is where? It's in him. You're my ultimate source of joy, my ultimate source of fulfillment. You're my ultimate source of pleasure, and you are mine. It's very personal. God, you are good, and you are good to me. Also, David says, God fulfills me through his people. Look at verse number three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I'll not pour out or take their names on my lips. Having rightly given God praise for who he is, David confusingly almost turns now and says, there's somebody else that brings me great joy. Not in competition, but from the Lord. Who is it? His people. His people bring me great joy. Are you telling me that God can use others to cause more satisfaction in him? What does David say in verse 3? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Christian, are the people in this assembly your delight? 
Are the people in this assembly your delight? Like, I don't, I don't know half the people here. What, what advice do you think we could give you right now? I don't really feel connected. Um, show up. Continue to show up. Invest your life in others because you may be the encouragement to them to help them realize that God is the greatest thing. You may be the thing that prods them on to more joy in the Lord, and they may be, conversely, they may be the ones that push you on to realize God is the greatest. They may be the ones to push you to realize He is your greatest joy. He gave us each other. He gave us each other for what purpose? Godly believers are a blessing from Him to cause us to be satisfied in Him. Remember, we went through our church series. If you just walk in and leave and walk in and leave, you're missing it. Not just are you missing it personally, but you're also missing him in the process. Where two or three are gathered, he's in our midst. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. When we are together, we are to be pushing and prodding each other. Because he is the best. I can't tell you the ways that he's been good, but let me start. Man, that really encouraged my soul. I want to tell somebody what the Lord's done for me. This, these domino effects are to be happening every Sunday and beyond. But to realize, man, the saints of God can be an encouragement to, to us. Conversely, the flip side, in verse 4, David also recognizes the path of the pagans and those that would choose to worship idols of the Lord. He says, I will have none of that. But those, those that are here, so teenagers, college students, when you're choosing your best buddies, people that don't know the Lord, you, you want to be careful as you think through this text. Those that are following other gods, you can still tell them about who Jesus is. But the saints are going to be your delight because they're the ones pushing you to be like him. Adults, the same is true. So all the buddies you go hang out with afterwards, are these the ones pushing you to be glorified in your Savior and satisfied in him? That's what the saints are to be doing. Man, they, what a blessing it is to come back to church to realize people here, we're on the same page, and we're realizing God is most glorified in us, and we are most satisfied in Him. Our chief end is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. I forgot that. I've not been living that way. Well, go do it. That's right. What a blessing the assembly is to us. Also, number three, David says, God fulfills me in my circumstances. Look at verse number five. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I mentioned circumstances and experiences because that's what these words portion and cup have that sense of going. Writing this, Matyer wrote on Psalms, said that the portion is the circumstances of life and the cup is the experience or experiences of life. When you, when you read verse 6 about these lines falling for him in pleasant places, our minds taken back to the people of Israel getting in the land, and remember they're drawing straws for which tribal allotment, and then within the tribal allotment you're drawing straws for who's going to get what piece of property, and David says the line, when I, I pulled that straw I realized 
it has fallen for me in a beautiful place. Like, what a lucky dude I am. Look at the experiences and circumstances of my life. I look around and go, what an amazing life I've been able to have because of the grace of God. Now, that sounds fantastic. Anybody here want to walk me through the life of David? And then make sense of this phrase, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You, you mean when you're playing music, he's up here like Brad and Dorsey and Carolee, he's up here playing music for the king and Saul's hurling spears at him and he's having to do a barrel roll to get out of there. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. When he's drooling spit on his beard and acting like a madman in front of a foreign king so he can hide and get away from Saul. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. When you're hiding in a cave, watching the king relieve himself in front of you, the, <laughs> the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Is this, I need, we need this. Is this making sense to you at all? Do you remember the parable in Matthew 13 about the hidden treasure? A guy walks out to a field and he realizes there's gold in them there hills and I, I'm going to go buy them. So he, he finds this treasure. He's like, this is amazing. He goes and sells all he has and comes and buys this plot of land where these lines are, these boundary lines, because he realizes the treasure that exists there. In that same idea, David realizes when the plot is landing, the boundary lines are drawn, the straws were pulled, in the circumstances and experiences of his life, the boundary lines that he has, has a treasure in it. And it is God himself. So even when I am doing a barrel roll to get away from a spear, even in when I am hiding in a cave or having to drool like a man-man to try to fake Craziness, so I can stay alive. My inheritance, my portion, my cup is God Himself. He's my Lord. So when I take refuge in Him, I realize the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because He is with me and I am with Him. And so I can walk through dark days. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does David say? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Even in the worst of life, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because God is mine. Some of you have been praying for one of our former teens named Desiree, she's been on a prayer sheet on and off for, I don't know, for years since we've been here. Des has been battling cancer for, for years, remained faithful to the Lord. I've mentioned here before from message how she's been encouragement to my own heart and soul. She's in Hawaii, her and her husband, their little daughter, who we got to see, was it two years ago? Um, she's lost her leg. Cancer continues to battle on, and it got to the place where now it, it's just run its course all up and down her body and she called Rebecca and I this last week to inform us she's not going to take any more 
Ooh, man, it's hard to say. She's not going to take more medicine, just the treatments, the chemo, just because it, it's, it's killing her, and she realizes she only has little time left and wants to have that quality time with her family. When you're talking to her, knowing death is approaching, we have a, a daughter of the same exact age. And here's this one that we were teaching when she was a teen how to love the Lord, how to be faithful to Him. And Desiree's telling me about how the lines have fallen for her in pleasant places. Her words about how good God has been even in the storm. And her body's so tired and weak. And she's ready to see Him in the full. Christian, recognize there are believers all around us who are facing the darkest days of their life and they're realizing even now the lines have fallen for them in pleasant places. Not because experiences are easy, not because the fruit that they've tasted has always been sweet, but because their treasure is their inheritance and their treasure is the Lord. in our circumstances and experiences of life even at the worst Christians can say the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because he is my treasure he is my all so if you're here and you're struggling through this or maybe you've had to have a conversation with a loved one recently as I did with Desiree and you're talking to them about what it's going to be like on the other side May your hope and joy and satisfaction in the Lord be renewed. To realize even now He is with you. And you can say, man, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Number four, God fulfills me on His path, David says. I bless the Lord, verse 7, who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. If you ever laid awake at night, stressing over the days to come you ever been there your body's not moving but your mind is and you just can't turn it off it's like eventually you're going to solve the world's problems and it's like 3 a.m. and you're still not asleep and the problems are still there David says even at night I have this gracious gift from the Lord that blesses me and he grants me his advice through his word through his law we hide God's word in our heart and instructs us so even in the night it's giving us counsel even while we're sleeping because of this David strains to set the Lord before him at the same time he says the Lord is also beside him so the Lord's before him and the Lord's beside him like why would David say it in this way it's how can he be before and beside is it just because he's God or, or what does he mean by that what's the difference between these two positions one commentator said Yahweh in front he's the one that I follow the standard to which I aspire Yahweh alongside is the strength on which I draw for life's journey so do you get this so he's before me and we follow him and we try to be like him be holy why God is holy he, he's my example we want to live like act like be like our savior 
Isn't that what we're called to do? Little Christians are to model him, follow him. That's our target. But he's also beside me. He's our constant source of strength. He is that cold cup of water. He is that meal in time of need. He is that shot of caffeine when things are down in the dumps. But he's beside you. He's your source of strength. So even on our path with all its twists and turns, he is our good, our source of fulfillment, and our source of joy. He's our model. He is our helper. In this all-encompassing walk, as we walk on his path, also number five, God fulfills me, fulfills my life to and beyond the grave. Verse nine, therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 1, David asked God to keep him, guard him, protect him, watch over him. Here in verse 9, he says that my flesh dwells secure. I'm in his care, everything is okay. But God's care does not just extend to our last breath. Praise the Lord. God's care extends beyond that. He can do even more than that. David recognizes that there is life after death, and our God will take care of us even then. So it's not he'll get you through this life. He will get you until time ends and beyond. He goes beyond that. God will not allow his people to go to Sheol or the land of the dead. And David states, or let your holy ones see corruption, you go, well, well, what's that talking about? If you recall, Miss Becky reading our scripture reading in Acts 2, where this entire text was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter recognized that God entered into covenant with David back in 2 Samuel 7, and that there would be an eternal kingship that would follow. Not just somebody on the throne, but there would be one who would be on the throne who would live forever. He would have to be a descendant of David, but he's also going to be the eternal, omnipotent one. So he is, going back to Genesis 3, he is that seed of the woman that we talked about last week. He's going to come from the line of Abraham. He's going to come from Genesis, the tribe of Judah. He's going to be a king from the kingly line of David. As we saw last week and recalled, he's going to be born of a virgin. He will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He will be, in Isaiah continued, in Isaiah 9 and 10, he'll be the root of Jesse. In 52 and 53, he will be the suffering servant. He will die, but he proclaims here, he will rise from the dead, for God will not allow his holy one, the Messiah, to see corruption. He will die, but he will rise from the dead. Peter, recognizing this, claims that David's being a prophet here. He's speaking prophetically of what is to come. That this, his trust, his faith was so convinced on what the Lord had promised him. Like when you read in Hebrews about Abraham offering Isaac, and it says in Hebrews 11 that he believed that God could raise him from the dead. Like who has the faith of that? Based on what example would Abraham think that? I don't know. God promised me inheritance is through my son. Well, he can do whatever he wants. He can bring him back from the dead. David had this same faith. I know he'll be born of a woman, but he will have an eternal kingship. He's going to die like me, but he will rise from 
the dead, defeating sin, death, and hell. God can fulfill, David says, my life to my last breath and beyond, for he will conquer the grave. And in my future descendants, I have great hope. That's why when Jesus confounds the Pharisees and said, what did David mean when he says, my Lord said to my Lord? Because David knew the one that was coming was God himself. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Lastly, David proclaims, God fulfills me in himself. You make known to me, verse 11, the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Picture a path laid out for us by God. He, he lays out the path. He goes before us. That's who we're supposed to follow. He comes alongside us to strengthen us on the journey. As we journey, we're in his presence. And where his presence is, there is fullness of joy. In his presence. He's before, he's beside Can the weather dictate your joy? If the Lord is before you and beside you? Can the car cutting you off? The slowness of your toddler tying a shoe? Steal your joy when the Lord is before you and beside you when you're in his presence? makes me think of Peter when he says that we, we become blind, having forgotten that we've been forgiven. We forget who our Lord is and what he's done and the things of earth, the stuff of the world distracts us from reality. The reality is he is before and he is beside and in his presence there is fullness of joy that we can taste and feel right now it's a joy that no man or woman could give. Joy that no taste, smell, sight, or sound could replicate. It is joy itself, and it's almost tangible in our Savior. It's almost tangible to the children of the King. He is joy. If it seems like it cannot get any better, we're told that it's joy in His presence. It continues, for at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We read in Acts 2 that Jesus is sitting at the Father's right hand, and who's next to him? His children enjoying the pleasures that are at his right hand forevermore. When our joy is fleeting, our pleasures end. The best foods can go bad. The best people we know, even like Desiree, may leave this earth. God is not like this. He does not end, He does not expire. And even when he did die, he defeated death, rose from the dead, and doing so provided salvation so we could sing all sufficient merit. We're robed in his righteousness. The forgiveness of sins, the best gift of all, is what? It's God himself. I am your source of joy. I am your source of pleasure. You want fulfillment? You will find it in me. God is pleasure unending. God is joy unspeakable and full of glory. For he grants us eternal, undiminishing gratification. 
in himself should we choose to take it? So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, do you know this good, satisfying Savior? Earlier I mentioned it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. David reminds us it's intensely personal. He says the Lord is mine. Friend, is he yours? Not a religion. Not I come to church. That is, has, does nothing for you. Taking communion, baptism does nothing for you. Do you know him as your Savior? Has there ever been a point in time where you trusted him, you confessed your sin, you forsook your sin, and you trusted and embraced the Savior as your own? Will you do that? If you confess your sin, forsake it, believe in him, place your faith in him today, ask, call out. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you do that today? If you have questions on how you can do that, see myself, Pastor Ethan, one of our deacons, a Christian friend you came with, we'd love to share that with you today. For those here that claim to know Jesus as your Savior, Christian, do you delight in Christians here? Do you delight in Christians here in this place like Dave describes in verse 3? You're not involved, not plugged in. It's going to be hard to do, isn't it? If not, would you by faith strive to love God's family like the Lord would have you? How might you grow other Christians? God could use you to grow other Christians. Do you believe that? How might you encourage others to be satisfied in God alone by faith strive to love his people in this place? Next, are you struggling to praise God given your current circumstances and experiences? Perhaps you don't feel like the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Christian, he is your portion and he is your lot. He is before and he is beside. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. Even in the dark, he can counsel and instruct. By faith, would you trust that he is with you? By faith, would you trust that he will sustain you? Would you, by faith, believe that even now the lions have fallen for you in pleasant places? Because not because of your circumstances, but because he is with you. Next, do, do you want to glorify God? Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to his glory. Do you want to glorify him? John Piper, in his well-known statement, which sounds like a ripoff to Westminster Catechism, says, God is most glorified in us. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Do you want to glorify God? Then find him to be the greatest thing you've ever tasted, touched, seen, heard, or handled. Be enraptured in who he is and what he's done for you. Act like look like and live like you are connected to the greatest pleasure the universe has to offer God himself Christian by faith enjoy him by faith be satisfied in him that's why later on we, Paul writes godliness with contentment is great gain you can be like him but you also have to be satisfied content in him lastly Will you join me in praising Christ?
our great high priest for rising from the dead. If he remains in the tomb, if he remains dead, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Jesus did not rise from the dead. We are of all men most miserable. But God, through prophetic word of David, reminds us that he would never allow his Messiah, his Holy One, to see corruption. He will rise. And he did, praise the Lord, he did raise, rise from the dead. We have and we serve a risen Savior. Join me in praising him today. Let's take 30 seconds now. Let's quiet our hearts. We're going to pull an audible here. We're going to sing this psalm again. We'll sing the last three verses of it. So gents, if you can pull that back up. We'll start with, I'll praise and bless the Lord in verse number seven. But if we take 30 seconds here, let's quiet our hearts and let's ask the Lord, Lord, what you have me do. Friend, if you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I encourage you, come to him today. If you do know him, what the Lord have you do? So as you bow your head and you think through, perhaps you're not delighting in the Christians here in this place. Perhaps you're not plugged in. The things of this world may be squelching you and keeping you from coming on a regular basis. Maybe you're struggling with the current circumstances or experiences. Realize that the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Let's pray. And we'll sing this psalm, part of the psalm, one more time before we head out. the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places because you are our treasure. Lord, we thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy. So Lord, we ask as David asked, preserve us, O God. Help us, Lord, to take refuge in you. But for those that are here that may not know you as your Savior, pray today would be that day of salvation for them. Lord, for the rest of us, may we glorify you by being supremely satisfied in you because you are good all the time. In Jesus' name we pray.